0: Marketing, entrepreneurship, and all things small business. You're listening to the Profit 911 Podcast. Now, here's your host, Justin Miller. Hello and welcome to the Profit 911 Podcast. This week, we're talking about the myth of the high-end client. I'm here with co-host Kevin. How are you doing? I'm
1: good. I'm excited because I want to find out about the myth of the high-end client.
0: Well, I thought you were going to teach this one. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, this is going to be about a seventeen-second podcast. Then.
0: Awesome. So tune back <laughs> in next week for the okay. conclusion. Thanks for <laughs> coming.
1: <laughs> we'll see you later.
0: Yeah. So this is an interesting one, and this is uh, this might be more insightful than a lot of the others.
1: Uh, it's
0: definitely going to be more strategic than it is tactical, uh, because that's what's required here. But it's it's about you know, what most people don't know about high-end clients that are buying high-end services. Um, also there's been a lot of hype about like high ticket offers Mm -hmm. lately in the past couple years in the marketing world and, and high ticket closers. I'm seeing a lot. Are you you seeing this online a lot? You see, well, since I'm still
1: on Facebook, I see those, those ads constantly. I mean, Grant Cardone wants me to spend some serious money with him. He wants me to come to Vegas. He wants me to come to Miami. He wants me to come wherever he's teaching.
0: Sure. Which I I mean, I do too.
1: Yeah. And I get that, but it's, it's (laughs) funny with Facebook boy, once you, once you lock into something, then suddenly there are lots of people who I've never heard of who are trying to offer me ideas and things that are like, they, I guess they think they're high end ticket stuff. And I'm like, I don't even know who you are. I mean, Facebook, that algorithm is just once I lock into something, then that's all I see for weeks is the same thing.
0: Facebook still causes me pain. Can we not talk about
1: that? Are we still locked out?
0: Well, I, don't know. I don't know in real time where we're at, but
1: <laughs> so, I would say it's a good bet. Let's. Uh,
0: you and I haven't had this conversation, so we've known each other a, a long time at this point, mm-hmm. but what was your first business?
1: Uh, my first business was a photography studio.
0: All right. Do you remember back when you started that business, what was your plan to break into that business? How are you going to get customers versus them going
1: somewhere else? Uh, no, I couldn't tell you that cause I don't think I knew anything about it. I, it started, I graduated from college, went to work for a radio station in Dubuque that had hired me when I was in college and within like six months got fired due to some ownership stuff and I didn't know what to do. So I did the next best thing and I started a business cause my degree was also in photography. I did it because I had, I, I, I shouldn't say that I went and did a sales job for about f- three months made a ton of money selling appliances, and I hated it. And I immediately then rolled that money. I'm like, I should start my own business. So I started a photography studio and immediately followed that with, I'm going to buy some DJ gear, um, you know, on 90 days, same as cash, and I'll start that. The idea of how am I going to do this was the least, <laughs> the farthest thing from my mind, which is one reason why that business probably... I'll be honest. It went bankrupt like four years later. I didn't know what the hell I was doing.
0: Well, this is this is really funny because you you never shared that before and and yeah, not the highlight well, of my business. Well, no, career. no, no, no. But like just, just getting into it and doing this crappy job to get the money. So my first business was the DJ business when mm-hmm. I when I was fourteen. Okay. And the way I got started in that is I detasseled corn one summer. So mm-hmm. those of you in the Midwest, or not in the Midwest, have no idea what this is. Basically, a bunch of children in cornfields as slave labor. I think I made four twenty-five an hour. Actually, I know that. <laughs> and, you know, we'd pull parts off the plants. It was, it was really dumb. It was awful work. Um, it was agriculture work. And I did that all summer, which... I think 20% of the people that started actually made it through the season they bonused you if you did and I took all that money I bought two DJ speakers mm-hmm. and I said I've
1: yeah. seen pictures of that when I bought your business we one day I found a bunch of old photographs and it was like you DJing something in somebody's basement. I, that was actually further on, <laughs> and I'm like, so, it, but you had your own sign and stuff too. Yeah. I was like, wow. Oh. So that wasn't that wasn't even like early on. That was later. No,
0: no, that would have been wow. high school in that picture. So, okay. so the first one was DJing my own school dances in junior high.
1: Sure. Okay. And
0: and the way really? I, the way I was gonna get the business. Oh my gosh. Was to undercut the guy in there. Yep. I'll just do this cheap.
1: And you know what? I I probably did that as well. And as we're as I'm thinking about this. I think I'd, maybe I did have a strategy, but you know what that strategy was when I opened that business? Um, when the guy from the Yellow Pages came and talked to me, I oh, bought his man. ad. Yeah. When the, the girl from the Bridal Magazine came and said, you should be in our bridal show, I did that. One of the reasons that business went bankrupt was I accumulated like $25,000 in credit card debt because I tried everything because I didn't know what to do, so I tried everything. And At that time, this is 1991, so Yellow Pages were a thing still. <laughs> and it didn't work. Then I tried radio, I did this. Got to the point where I started to make some traction, and maybe I, I learned a little bit about what you teach or the way you ran your business that I run the business well, now. Well, I sure didn't know it back then. Well, nobody but, he, but I, you're right. I mean, eventually I learned it. I did get to the point finally where we started doing video, DJ, and photography for weddings, and I got smart enough to know that we should charge a premium dollar for it. My biggest problem was... I so then could get a handful of really high-end clients, but you can't survive on one of those every five weeks.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I think a lot of people come in and they just think, I'll charge less than the next guy and I'll get the business and all will be good, right? Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) The real money's in high-end. Now, high-end means different things to different people. Yeah. So this is really an interesting area as we dig in because it's really a case of you don't know what you don't know. And it's, it's a blind spot type thing. But uh, I'm stealing a little content from a seminar I did a few years ago at a national convention called 10x Your Price in Any Market. And yes, 10x was probably stolen from Grant Cardone. <laughs> but uh, I have a few takeaways from that seminar. So instead of getting the hour long seminar, you're going to get like the three minute Cliff Notes version of the seminar. So the first thing was and this was all about increasing the price of what you're offering. First thing was, People don't come to you and tell you how much money they're willing to spend.
1: True. So, even if you ask them, sometimes they don't really want well, to. Well,
0: if you ask them, they think they're being sold, right? Yeah. But if you pitch a service that is $1,000, we'll just keep this easy, and they're really happy with that, they're not going to tell you that well, if you offered something else, they might have spent five grand. You're both going to go along with your lives and you're mm-hmm. going to be happy that you made $1,000. But you're going to be completely blind to the fact that you might have been leaving money on the table. So you need to listen to what people are not saying as well. And some of it comes from experience, but um, realize that if you're selling something successfully right now, there's probably still room for more on there, sometimes drastically more. Sometimes, you know, I didn't get there overnight, so you know, we r- raised the prices slowly over the years. Now I I would just go ahead and jump to the top. But in in the past, we raised it slowly over the years and we had the growing pains of having to almost abandon a client base that wasn't going to jump up to the next pricing tier. Scary situation, you're abandoning long-term customers. Now we did some cool things in the business where we, you know, this was a type of business where there was annually events, so we would Grandfather the rate in as long as they kept us, mm-hmm. uh, so we had you know, long-term clients paying ten percent of what a new client coming in would. Yeah, yeah, you know, just kind of as a favor to them. Um, but you know, there were some growing pains doing it the slow way. Um, you need to know what questions you should be asking to get people the service they really need, so people don't tell you how much they want to spend. But at the same token, a lot of times they don't know what they really need.
1: So they think they have a preconceived notion of what they want and what they want to spend. They don't really know what they need or what they might want?
0: Well, remember, you're an expert in whatever your business is. Mm -hmm. They're not. They don't know what's out there. So let's let's talk a medical example because we work with a lot of medical practitioners. When someone comes into a medical office, they come in with a problem. They... (laughs) I'm a little different, but most people don't come in with, (laughs) here's the treatment I want too. Uh, Some do because of the internet and I know docs that drives you nuts, but um, they're coming in for advice on what's best and they want the problem solved. So if I come in and I assume for one reason or another that this client or patient is willing to spend, you know, on average $2,000 to fix their issue and I give them You know, a kind of -of middle-of-the-road treatment. But there's another treatment that would work twice as fast, but it costs five times as much. And I didn't offer that. I have no idea how many people may have purchased it. So we, we have to ask the right questions to get to, you know, what's the real need? How can we serve it? Here's the other thing is to receive 10x the pay, you have to fulfill 10x needs. So you might have to change your core service offering to be of more value. So I'm kind of curious since you bought my business and you'd already been in the industry longer than I have, I believe. So so you're basically buying a client base and some systems. Absolutely. Um, did you have to shift kind of what you were selling to, to serve the clients that we were typically bringing in?
1: I think so, yeah. I remember I'd known you for a long time and I always thought you were your business was overpriced. Now I'm yep. like, it probably was underpriced a little bit when you offer that that product or service that is it is quite frankly at the top of the game when you are doing it better than someone else and you are able to fulfill those needs and, and take care of those customers. It took me a while to to figure that out or to understand why you were doing it that way. So yeah, I think I did need to shift. I think, and maybe it's a mindset. It, it Some of times it's just literally the mindset that, because I think for when I first bought your business, I had a hard time believing that people were going to spend that kind of money. And I was maybe defeating my own sales meetings with clients because, I, well, I mean, if you want to buy it, here's the price. <laughs> now I'm like, here's the deal. This is what it costs. And this is why it's what you need. And it, 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 yeah, some of it's mindset, I think, but yes, it did take me a little while to, because I tried very hard to do things really the same way you did. Why would I change what you were doing? You, you wanted, you just wanted to move on to another project. You hadn't run the business into the ground to the point where I was like, oh, this is, I need to start all over. It was like, how do I just pick up the pick up where he's at and just move with my experience and my, what I can do. I tried very hard to do it literally the same way you were doing it.
0: I'm an entrepreneur. I get bored. (laughs) We start entrepreneurs start burning down things when Mm -hmm. they get bored. They start destroying their own businesses Um, before I get too far off topic. So you said something about mindset and that's what I want to come back to after the break. We'll talk about the mindset of making the sales and what's going to make it happen to get the high end client and now now back to the profit 911 podcast with your host Justin Miller. All right, we're back. We are talking about the myth of the high-end client. I haven't even got into why I call it a myth, but we're going to spend this segment talking about the mindset. And the mythology really ties into the mindset. So, you know, the myth is high-end clients are really no different than the low-end client. We just put them up on a pedestal.
1: Yeah, I think I used to think that too.
0: Yep, it's, it's, it's really more about you as the business owner than them as the client as far as making these sales goes. Uh, typically, it's you screwing things up. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the client in front of you. Um, one of the biggest reasons is this is, I, I alluded to it very early on in this session, but you know, this is one of those blind spots. We don't know what we don't know. And I'm going through it. So this is interesting because I'm going through it right now in the Profit 911 company. So my marketing agency. Yes, I've been around the marketing world forever. Yes, I can can help companies. But I have to learn all the processes. So one of the first things I did when I started going full-time into this was try and seek out people that have already done what I want to do. And that was not my mindset historically. You know, I like to figure crap out on my
1: own. (laughs) True, you do. That's true.
0: I don't believe most people that are talking. Um, <laughs> I, I think they just want to hear themselves talking. So it was, it was a different approach at this point. But um, over the years, when you look back in retrospect, in my previous business, it's very easy for me to see the blind spots that held us back. And it would be very easy for me to duplicate and get to where I was before again. It wouldn't take 20 years this time. Mm-hmm. Maybe two yeah, two, three. So finding those blind spots, unfortunately, they're blind to you. So you're going to have to get some sort of help.
1: Well, that's my question. How do you know what you don't know? Because if you knew it, you wouldn't have. I mean, it's that <laughs> yes, old it's, chicken and the egg thing. How do I know what I don't know? But that is the longer I'm in business, and the more I do things, and get to because now I, I, your business is, is, I mean, my business, it's rolling along. We're doing well, but. How do I know what I don't know about taking and adding another seventy grand to the yeah. bottom line? So, I, so and here, I don't know.
0: Yeah, so here, here's the thing. You got to know where you want to end up. And I've heard this logically forever, mm-hmm. right? And logic doesn't do it. We're not logical people. Um, but I, I've, I've lived it now, too. So when you know where you're going, you can actually build a damn plan. And you can find those people that can help you. And, you, and you'll hear the things that you need to move forward. They'll come to you. It'll be like magic. <laughs> but, but when you don't
1: know where you're trying to go. And see, maybe that's the advantage with you because I, I can always call you or ask you a question. And for a while, while well, I was paying for the business, you had a vested interest in my success so you would get paid.
0: Well, yeah, I like, I like to get money.
1: But because we've also been friends forever, you also, I think part of it, I, I could tell that you like to impart wisdom. I always knew that when you were telling me stuff that I'm like, this worked or he knows or this is a blind spot or you've never said it that way. But now that we're talking about this, I understand yeah. there are many times that you're telling me things well, that you're like, wait, that I would never look at that way.
0: Well, yours was easy because I already, I mean, the vision was there because it already existed right? We were just sure. rebuilding, shoring up the things. Yep. Building the vision is difficult. I'm not I'm not going to joke about that. It's hard to envision anything in the future and not feel like an imposter. That's a different psych topic. True.
1: But, but, it, you know, but looks, even when you have a vision, how do you know that your vision doesn't still have full of holes and blind spots? It does.
0: But you can voice that vision to people that can help you. Yep. And when you're thinking that way, you hear the answers you need. So you're into education as well as I am and learning. I, I love learning. I'm a seminar goer. I, I read things. Have you ever had a situation where you go back and maybe read the same book or listen to the same podcast a couple years later and the lesson you take is completely different?
1: Absolutely. So, I think it's super valuable to reread, relisten, partly because you don't absorb it all in the first place. Yeah, so and when you go back, you're right. Wait a minute. That's, that's you, okay. Yeah.
0: You hear what you need to hear at a given yeah, time. That's true. Yeah. And, and you, you hear what you're open to, and you hear what you're ready for.
1: That, that's a good I mean, point. I'll be honest. You hear what you're open to. That is, write that down.
0: <laughs> I'll be honest. Some of my lessons come in, in church sermons. Yeah. I, I think some of the best business lessons in the world are at church. Yep. Um, but you, you hear what you need to hear at that at given point in time. So, yeah, you could, like, literally have the same teachings over and over, and, and you'd continue to grow. But it, it'll help you get to where you need to be. The other problem... Is if you don't have someone there helping you or the vision is not fleshed out, um, you might see an early failure. You might see something you're doing and get exposed to, maybe you raised your rates and you had three sales appointments and none of them booked or none of them moved forward. And you said, oh my God, I, I raised them too high. Yeah. Um, So you may see a failure when, in fact, what you were exposed to is completely normal, but you have no idea. So, yes, maybe that's normal that more people are saying no. Or maybe it's normal that you're going to have a little more pushback. Or here's an interesting, maybe it's normal that all of a sudden the prospects are asking completely different questions that you haven't had to answer.
1: That's true, too. That makes a lot of sense because when you, maybe you are asking the right question or approaching it that way and they ask because I find that even with the businesses I'm so used to answering the same questions there are times even now that someone will throw me off and I'm like I've learned to say let me get back to you instead of just saying oh well I'll answer this right now and then later I'll be like that was really a dumb answer
0: yeah so I mean as business owners trying for big growth we get scared uh emotions take over I used the word imposter before. We have imposter syndrome. You know, who am I to do
1: this? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You
0: know, know, I'm I'm no better than this other company that's been around for blah, blah, blah years. And, you know, who am I to do this? And uh, only other entrepreneurs will understand that struggle. Mm -hmm. And uh, on this type of topic, we're going to talk about a lot in the podcast because... I don't, it's not the topic for this one. And I don't want to get off on a complete tangent, but there is a massive lack of emotional support for small business owners. I totally agree. Even successful ones. In fact, if you're successful, you know, society roots for an underdog. They love to see you climb. But once you're successful, all of a sudden they want to tear you down.
1: No, that's absolutely true. Or, well, I mean, the example is, you know, Kanye puts out a pair of shoes. Michael Jordan puts out shoes and everyone loves them. They have to buy them. Joe on the corner decides to open a business and everyone's like, I, that's not going to work. Why, why are you doing that?
0: Yeah, so, so we get scared without help. And uh, the other thing is people can't buy, they can't spend if they don't know you can do something. So a lot of times we underpitch. If you pitch low and you're dependent on upsells, add-on sales, you'll only get so far. So I'll give you some actual Price points. If, if you don't care from the previous business, no, that's fine. So, like when I sold the business, I think we had three or four packages. Yeah, you know, we had one for twelve hundred dollars, two grand, thirty five hundred, and like five grand or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, somewhere in there. And historically, we would have tried to sell something for around a thousand dollars and then add things to it. Guess what? You can't add on to a five thousand dollar sale. You can't do it because that person sees you as a $1,000 service. There is no way you're going to get them to five grand. Mm -hmm. But if you have a package or something that's offered and is pitched that shows value at $5,000 and it's presented along with it, you can sell that. Not only that, but you get the benefit of the $1,000 looking cheap now.
1: That's true. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So they, they can't buy if they don't know. So I always encourage you to offer something high. Always give options. Um, throw together – you've probably heard it before, but throw together something that you think is absolutely ridiculous and no one would ever buy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Guess what? Someone's going to buy the thing if you present it right. And then you're going to have to – And they do, yeah. invariably,
1: because we still have some of those super high-impact – and they're higher now just because time has gone on. And every once in a while, someone – Will actually take you up on it instead of just saying no, no, no. What else do you have? That might be a little out of my price range. Then you move down to the next one. You're right. Every once in a while, someone yeah, does have. Why,
0: a- why are people scared of moving down? By the, it's the business owner is scared of doing that, right? There, yeah. I'm I'm going to lose the sale if I offer that five thousand dollar package.
1: Well, I think it's honestly because I used to be this way. I think too, and I learned this from you. Most people start the other direction. Let's start at a thousand. Oh, and by the way, we also have a five thousand dollar package, but you can't work them up the other way. You can only work someone up so far, even with an upsell. Yep. But it is it does it appears to be a much better value if you work your way down. If they're like, well, no, five grand. What are you talking about, five grand?
0: Yeah, and and don't even listen to the dollar amounts because they're different in your world. So sure. I one of my competitors in my current business, you know, I've sat in on a, a sales presentation that starts with a fifty thousand dollar offer. And if you're still sitting there and haven't bought, that uh, something may be offered to you down in like the six or seven thousand dollar range, mm-hmm. because there's still something of value that can pr- be provided at that range.
1: That might be the most valuable thing I learned in our conversations is that you you may have that package that starts here. I now try to start everybody with the. Big enchilada let's, and they're always, and in 95% of them like that, I don't, I don't need all that. No. What else do you have? And then it progressively, even if you only work your way down to the base package, you're still, you're better off than you were if you had started there in the first place.
0: Yeah. And and if you have sales reps in your business, this is crucial for them to understand because they will have a sense of self-worth and value of what they can sell too. And, and you need to show them that it's possible to move up. Um, we also have to help these customers buy. So, a couple of caveats with the higher end consumer: they won't spend the money if they think they're the only ones doing it. They don't want to be thought a fool. So, if they have the money, they don't want to be the only person that is shelling out the money because they feel like.
1: And how do you? Their friends are going to. How buy do they it know them. that? Is it they see that you have other clients? Is it? I mean, how do they know that they're not the only one spending that money?
0: Precisely. You have to provide the proof. So testimonials, other clients. If you have a prominent client list, you can share, do it. Um, Referrals obviously come into play too. But you need some sort of proof that they're not the only one that spent that money. Now, someone always has to be first. But don't let that hold you up. Also, they want to feel comfortable with their choice. So we're talking as if we're selling people. But I am of the firm belief that people buy. So we guide the process. Ultimately, people love to buy and they hate to be sold.
1: And you're and in theory, you're helping them buy by giving them the right. Yeah.
0: Assuming you're providing value. So anything I teach you, I'm assuming you're providing value, and you're not. Yeah, really you have involved. to
1: admit that you have to think that. Yeah, if if you're not providing any value, then there's no point. You're. But you're right. People don't like to be sold. They want to to. They want to kind of make their own decision and. Have, I mean, I, I don't know if it's... Does it give them the feeling that they made... Even though you may have pushed them along and guided them, they still feel like they made the choice all on their own?
0: Yeah, absolutely. They want to take credit for making the decision and, and controlling that process. Now, you're controlling the mechanics of mm-hmm. the process. They, most of the time, are controlling the timing. So people buy on their own time. You can tweak it a little, but... Yeah. Most part, they buy on their own time. And they want to feel respected. So
1: absolutely, I think the like the biggest ticket items that I mean, people always talk about how terrible car buying experiences are, but a couple of the best buying experiences I've ever had were car experiences, but they were salespeople that that led me down that path, and I didn't realize that they were helping me, and suddenly I walked out with eight grand more in car than I ever needed. Yeah,
0: if you disrespect someone that has the means and is willing to spend as a high ticket client. It, it, it's over, or they have mental issues, and it's gonna bite you in the ass later. <laughs> I mean, you might get some, but it's yeah. gonna co- it's gonna come back around to you. Yeah. And, and here's the bottom line: is is you may think people need to be wealthy to be a high end client, and I do not think that is true. As long as what you're doing provides value, I think people can find the money if they want to. We always find money for what we want.
1: That's absolutely true. If you really want it bad enough, you'll will uh, you'll find a way to make it work. No, I agree.
0: Sometimes it takes creative solutions, but hopefully that gives you a little insight into the high-end client and why I think it's a complete myth because there's always a higher-end client that you don't even know about. Um, tune in next week. We're, we're going to talk about a, who wrote this. Wrote I really? This? I was
1: I was going to just read it, but I thought I'm going to let you read it because that will sound really silly coming out of your mouth.
0: Yeah, so, so next week we're talking about does size matter?
1: <laughs> we're Hold on. We need some kind of sound effect for that.
0: Uh, we, don't, we don't have one. <laughs> So does size matter? How much follow-up is too much? So a question I get all the time, how much follow-up is too much? We're going to get you the answer next week on the podcast. Thanks for listening to the Profit 911 Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave your comments. For more information on how Profit 911 Consulting can help grow your service business, visit Profit911.biz.